Our scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is God's word. Thank you very much, Ethan, for that reading of scripture this morning. Ken, for leading us in facilitating our expression of praise and worship to the Lord. Catherine, what a joy to witness that step of faith and baptism. And it is a privilege to be able to, to now hear the word of God and what he has to say to us. When I am in Africa, particularly West Africa, sometimes my colleagues look at me and say, David, you as a Westerner, you have the watch. We have the time. Let us now this morning take the time necessary to hear what God has to say to us through his word. John DeLong, in his excellent book entitled Reclaiming the Ethical High Ground, paints for us a picture of the Roman legionnaire during the time of the 12 Caesars. Imagine that you were a legionnaire in that Roman army. Early in the morning, you form a line with your compatriots, and then the inspecting centurion comes and stands in front of you. As he looks you in the eye, you strike with your right breast, your breastplate, that piece of the armor that protects the most vital organ of your body, the heart. And as you strike the armor, you declare out loud, integritas in Latin meaning, Wholeness, completeness, integrity. The inspecting centurion wants to hear that clear affirmation. He wants to hear the ring resonating from your armor. And once he is satisfied that your armor is complete, full of integrity, well able to protect you, the legionnaire, he passes on to the next man in line. In many ways, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 is like that inspecting centurion. <laughs> he's standing in front of you and he's describing for us these various pieces of the armor. And there are six of them. Last week, as we explored Spiritual Warfare 101, we looked at the first three. Paul's big idea there was... In the truth, righteousness, and peace of the gospel, stand firm against Satan's incessant, malicious 
attacks. And those truths, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of peace speak not only of what we already have in Jesus Christ by virtue of who we are in Christ, but they also speak of what you and I are now to do by fully appropriating the full significance of those pieces of the armor and by faith living it out. Now the Apostle Paul moves on to three other pieces of the armor that are not as much defensive as they are offensive. He speaks of the shield of faith. He speaks of the helmet of salvation. He speaks of the sword of the Spirit in verses 16 and 17. Again, let me just read those two verses for us. Notice, in all circumstances, or better, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Once again, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would remove from our minds anything that would distract us from hearing the word of God. Speak, Lord, your servants hear. May our ears be open. May our hearts be obedient. May we hear what you have to say to us concerning this full, splendid protection that you give us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in your name we ask it. Amen. Paul speaks to us, first of all, of the shield of faith. Among the Roman legionnaires, the shield of faith was large and vaulted. It was about four and a half feet high and about two and a half feet wide. You know, our faith needs to be that way, high and large. In fact, apart from a faith that is high and large, all that we're talking about in terms of these pieces of the armor could end up being nothing more than a mere academic exercise. And yet, as I look out on a congregation like this today, if you were like me, you have to admit that at times your faith may not be high and large. Maybe you feel today that your faith is little and low. Maybe you feel like you are in the fray of battle personally, within your family, possibly here within this church. You feel tired and weary. I have good news for you. Jesus Christ is praying for you. Like that inspecting centurion standing in front of you individually and in front of this church, Jesus Christ is interceding for you. Remember those words of Jesus to Peter in Luke chapter 22? Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat, speaking to all of those disciples. The adversary wanted to afflict all of them, and they were the very uh, core of what would become eventually this 
church of Jesus Christ. But then Jesus goes on and says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, speaking in the singular. And that is what he does also for you and me. I am praying for you, Ken. I am praying for you, Mary. I am praying for you, Josh. I am praying for you, Jan. Whatever your name is, whatever the circumstances you may be facing in life today, Jesus Christ is praying for you. Can you imagine when you face conflict, temptation, deception, accusation in your life, what it could be like if you knew that Jesus Christ was right in the next room interceding for you? He is in the next room, and more than that, he is not only in the next room, he is right by you, though highly exalted, he is never far from every one of us. And he is praying what he prayed for Peter, that Peter's faith may not fail. And then Jesus goes on, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. And he is interceding that our faith may be firm no matter what we encounter in the warfare of our spiritual journey. That is why some 25 years later, Peter could write to you and me after he had faltered and failed and nevertheless returned, he now strengthens others and writes to us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9, but resist him, that is the adversary, firm in your faith. But we have to ask the question, how can we be firm in our faith? Maybe you've heard the old adage, feed your faith and your doubts will starve. But how do we feed our faith? Maybe Romans 10 verse 17 comes to mind. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And when you and I hear such a verse like that, we think, oh, if I simply hear the Word of God, like here at First Evan, one time a week, or maybe several times a week, and then even add on to that, let's say 20 podcasts during the week, that my faith is going to grow and flourish. Is that the idea of what Paul is saying there? Absolutely not. Paul is saying in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 this. He is saying that the unbeliever cannot have saving faith apart from the word of Christ. But listen, a believer can hear the word of Christ and hear the word of Christ repeatedly without it resulting in vibrant faith. After all, that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying when he says this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. The message they heard was of no value to them. Think of it. You can be here week after week and you can hear the message proclaimed and walk out of here without it having any value in your life whatsoever. That was the case for Israel and it can be the case for you and me today. 
And the writer goes on and says, why? For those who heard the message did not combine it with faith. This is an interesting passage because in Hebrews, the writer is actually dealing with Israel moving into their promised rest. And one thing that was hindering them from moving into their promised rest was the vast array of adversaries, the enemies that they would encounter in the promised land, or the trials and temptations that they encountered as they wandered in the wilderness. They had the Word of God, but it was not mixed with faith. So how can hearing the Word of God result in vibrant faith in your life and in mine? The answer is you and I need to get a grip on the Word of God. We must devour God's Word lest we be devoured by the enemy. But how do we get a grip on God's Word? One, we need to hear God's word as you do each week here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. When you hear the message, do not harden your hearts. We need to be regularly hearing the word of God. We need to also be regularly reading the word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, the apostle Paul says... Devote yourself to the reading of Scripture. Beyond hearing and reading, we need to be studying. We're good at that here at First Evan, examining the Scriptures like good Bereans. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. They received the Word of God with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if what the Apostle Paul was teaching was actually true. Now, we in the West and in churches like First Evan, we're good at hearing, we're good at reading, we're good at examining, but here's the next three where we might need some push, some improvement with the help of God's Spirit. We need to be memorizing God's Word, Psalm 119.11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you regularly memorizing God's Word? See, memorizing God's Word is absolutely foundational to doing what we're going to talk about in just a moment. That is, applying the spoken Word of God when in the fray of spiritual battle. There, you don't have time to go run after your Bible or even pick up your digital version of Scripture. It needs to be inscribed on the heart. Memorizing the Word of God is foundational to meditation on the Word of God. I was talking with some the other night about the difference between the Eastern countries and America. Obviously, in the East, meditation is a very important part of life. We as believers in the West need to learn a little more about meditation, chewing on Scripture, not just studying it academically, analytically, but meditating on it, chewing on it, allowing it to become part of our very being. In a context of spiritual warfare, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night in order that you might observe to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That is what the people of God needed to hear as they moved into the promised land 
and confronted their enemies face to face. Most importantly, we need to take all of those five and we need to obey it. We need to obey it. James reminds us of this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Up to this point, we have talked about the fact that the enemy can deceive you and me. But guess what? Sometimes the enemy doesn't have to deceive you and me. We deceive ourselves. Every time we hear the word of God and leave without in some way, with the enablement of God's spirit, putting it into practice, we are deceiving ourselves. Why? Because divine revelation, apart from personal application, inevitably results in spiritual indigestion. And the devil wants us to experience that spiritual indigestion because it leads us into a state of spiritual lethargy and complacency. And so James goes on to say, rather sarcastically, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and immediately goes his way and forgets what he looks like. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Raise your hand. Men and women, I'm sure. After all, you want to be somewhat presentable when you go out in public. You have a little mirror and you look in it and what do you see? Well, all of us, particularly as we age, we go from wrinkles to pimples or pimples to wrinkles. It would be nice if it was the other way around, wouldn't it be? We gain a little more around the waist. There are certain things we cannot change. There are many things that we can change to make ourselves presentable. James says that the Word of God is like a mirror. And the man who takes the Word of God and looks in it, but then even carries it around with him in his pocket like this, but doesn't do what it says, is only deceiving himself. And it will result in spiritual indigestion. The greatest, most effective way that you and I can employ the spiritual armor that has been given to us here in this passage is by faith. And by obedient faith, picking up these pieces of armor, understanding what they represent, and then deploying them by faith in our daily walk with Jesus Christ. Uh, the shield of faith not only starves our doubts, it also extinguishes the flaming arrows of our adversary. In Roman days, the enemy would often develop their arrows out of cane, and they would insert in that cane combustible materials. And so the archenemy of our soul shoots darts at you and me and at the church of Jesus Christ. And those darts are full of the combustible materials of deception, temptation, and accusation. Satan's flaming arrows are sudden and severe. They can catch you and me off guard at the least expected moment. 
They are blasphemous thoughts at times, accusing thoughts at times, obsessive thoughts at times. In fact, there is a recounting of a certain situation in the day of the Apostle Paul where the enemy was so firing these flaming arrows at these Roman legionnaires that it caused them to throw down their shields in panic and run in fear. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you and me to do, to run in fear. Catherine, I so appreciated that verse this morning. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we can experience that to the degree that you and I understand and appropriate the spiritual armor that is ours. We need to lift up our shield of faith, claiming our identity in Jesus Christ when we are under attack. We need to lift up the shield of faith, declaring our authority in Jesus Christ when under attack. I'm always impressed by a policeman who can stand at the middle of an intersection and see coming towards him an 80,000-pound semi-trailer, and yet by lifting up his hand, that trailer stops. That massive truck comes to a halt. Likewise, in our spiritual warfare, as we learn to effectively deploy the spiritual armor that God has given to us, not by our authority, but by the authority of Jesus Christ, we can hold up our hand and say, Be gone, Satan, adversary of my soul. There's another fact about these shields. Two-thirds of the shield protected the legionnaire. One-third of the shield covered his comrade to the left. This enabled these Roman soldiers to form tight ranks. Legionnaire next to legionnaire. This was what was called the famous Roman wedge. Personally and collectively, here in this church and every church, we need the wedge of faith. Shield to shield, my friend, not fighting against one another, but fighting alongside one another against our common enemy. Paul reminds us that you and I have not only the shield of faith, we have the helmet of salvation. Obviously, the helmet protects the vital organs of our head. The library, as I put it last week, the control center of our life, Listen, the greater part of our spiritual battle is right here, is it not? Between our two ears. That is the number one target of our adversary, the mind. Satan wants to attack the mind in order to influence the emotions, in order that he might ultimately control the will. Through deception, accusation, and temptation, Satan's malicious work begins in the mind. Like this, as you see on the screen. The continuum of sin, Ephesians 4, 27. 
where Paul reminds us that if there is any anger, anger or bitterness in our minds and in our hearts, we immediately give a foothold to the devil. So a thought that is not according to the will of God can result in a choice that is not according to the will of God, eventually leading to a habit and eventually leading to spiritual bondage. You see those rats at the bottom of the image? It's a picture of the spiritual bondage that God wants to bring every, that the adversary wants to bring every believer into. And yet we have here the spiritual protection that is so vital to keep us from going down that pernicious slide downwards. Satan darkens the mind, Ephesians 4. Satan seduces the mind, 1 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, Satan blinds the mind. Sometimes Satan will mix demonic thoughts with our thoughts to the point that you and I cannot tell the difference. And that is why the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11:3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds and hearts will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Yes, Satan wants to lasso us in to spiritual bondage. And that is why I have said a couple of times, every time you and I dabble in sin, we are dabbling in the demonic. Again, the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, oh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Oh, no, they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Strongholds. Strongholds. You see, Satan's desire in our life individually and in the life of the church collectively is to get a foothold, Ephesians 4.27, and to transform that foothold into a spiritual stronghold. What is a stronghold? In the experience of the Corinthian believers, Paul is speaking particularly in relationship to them as a church. You see, there were various ideas and opinions that were circulating that were influencing the Corinthian believers in the way they viewed the apostles. We could find a parallel today in terms of various theories and philosophies that surround us in society. We could speak of critical theories. We could speak of woke philosophies. We could speak of progressive theologies. And while we must articulately, biblically, and intelligently address those with the word of the gospel, we must always remember that our primary pieces of the armor are spiritual in nature. We will never reason people away from error. 
only through prayer, only in absolute dependence upon the work of God's Spirit. I believe there's another application, however, personally for you as an individual when we speak of spiritual strongholds. Uh, Satan can develop a stronghold in your thinking as an individual. Speaking from my own personal experience of over 30 years ago, moving through over a year of a chemical spiritual depression in my life, where I believe the adversary began to develop a foothold and tried to transform it into a stronghold to bring me into bondage. It consists of mental patterns of thought that are contrary to the Word of God. Mental patterns of thought that begin to be burned into our minds, sort of like a rut in the road. You know, we lived in Oregon for nearly 15 years, and as you follow the Oregon Trail, you can still see carved into stone where these wagons rolled in one direction, one after another, and they left a rut. And that gave them a sense of direction, but it also kept them there. They couldn't move to the right or to the left. In many ways, in our minds, we can begin to be in a, the stronghold of a rut, a mental pattern of thought, burned into our minds over a period of time, or even through traumatic experiences in life, where we begin to experience a sense of hopelessness, where we begin to accept as unchangeable, something in our lives is unchangeable that we know is contrary to the Word of God. What about you? Are you experiencing mental ruts that are an attack of the adversary? Is there an area of your life that you know is contrary to the will of God, but you are resigned to it, thinking this is unchangeable. I have good news for you. (laughs) God's Spirit can break through. He can bring healing. He can bring deliverance. He can bring freedom through the cross of Jesus Christ. One further application of what we have just talked about. Believer, our minds are never a vacuum. We can evict with God's enablement negative thoughts, but those must be replaced with positive thoughts. Finally, brothers, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is admirable, admirable, whatever is lovely, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think on these things. And what is more admirable and praiseworthy than our salvation? And that is why it is called the helmet of, say it with me, salvation. Salvation past. That Jesus Christ, who died in our place to relieve us of the penalty of sin, but you as a believer, you died with him to deliver you from the power of sin. And that's what baptism represents. 
When one goes down into the water and comes up out of the water, they are declaring, I am identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. I am not only freed from sin's penalty, I've been given power over sin's insidious influence in my life, and one day I will be delivered even from the presence of sin. You can say amen to that. <laughs> yes, yes. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and finally, the sword of the Spirit. You know, Paul here is not speaking of a long sword that could not be easily maneuvered. He's speaking of a short sword that that Roman legionnaire could use with agility. It was handier, more aggressive. You and I have a sword. It's given by the Spirit of God, and it consists of the Word of God. But here, Paul is not talking about the written Word of God. Paul is talking about the authoritative binding proclamation of the spoken word of God. He uses a very particular term in the language of the New Testament, rhema. It is that spoken word of God. In fact, it is that word that Martin Luther referred to, I'm sure, when he wrote that well-known hymn that we love so much, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And what is that one little word? It is the authoritative, binding, spoken word of God. And that's why the memorization of God's word and the meditation upon God's word is so vital to our spiritual walk and warfare. For we must know God's word to the point that when under the, in the fray of battle, when we are experiencing deception and temptation and accusation, we can authoritatively have recourse to the living, powerful Word of God. For again, as the writer to the Hebrews reminds us, for the Word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul, spirit, joints, marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, there is no better example of the spoken word of God than the way that Jesus Christ modeled it for us in Matthew chapter 4. You remember the account? He's actually led into the desert, a time of testing by the Holy Spirit. And at times, the Holy Spirit will lead us, allow us to experience testing as never before in order that we might be, as Peter says, firm in our faith. And so the devil leads Jesus into the desert. And while hungry, particularly susceptible 
to wanting to depend upon human means rather than divine means, Satan takes advantage of the occasion and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. And how does Jesus respond? He says, citing Deuteronomy chapter 8, man shall not live by bread alone. That is the rhema of God. But then Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, overlooking all of Jerusalem, and says, look, jump off of here because after all, it says in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, and Satan cites scripture, look, Jesus, he will give his angels charge over you so that your foot will not strike a stone. And Jesus counters Satan's temptation by citing Deuteronomy 6, do not test the Lord your God. That is the rhema of God. And then Satan, insisting, takes Jesus to a high mountain and shows him all of the nations of the world. For after all, Jesus, Satan is the prince of darkness. He is the ruler of this world, and we must not forget it in this intermediary time period. And Jesus is shown all the nations of the world, and Satan says, hey, if you will but bow the knee to me, I will give you all of this. And Jesus once again says, <laughs> citing Deuteronomy 6 and also chapter 10, Get out of here, Satan. You must worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That is the rhema of God. And then we are told the devil went away, and angels came and cared for Jesus. Spiritual rest. How can you and I know spiritual rest in the fray of battle, when battle-weary? Friend, we acknowledge what God has so abundantly given to you and me in these six pieces of our splendid armor. And we ask him to enable us by faith to effectively deploy them in our spiritual walk and warfare. Six pieces of splendid armor. The belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword. Essentially, Paul has told us this in these six pieces of spiritual armor. In the truth, righteousness, and peace of the gospel, in bold faith with a renewed mind, with the shield of faith, stand firm, stand firm against the malicious, incessant attacks of the adversary. And that you and I can do. Imagine Jesus Christ himself being that head centurion. He comes and he stands in front of you. He gazes you in the eye. He's looking at you in love. He wants to affirm your faith, however low and little it may be. Because after all, it's not really the amount of faith that you have. It's rather the object of your faith that gives it value. And as your faith is placed squarely in our head centurion, inspecting centurion, Jesus Christ himself, <laughs> He will strengthen that faith 
because he loves you and he is praying for you. He is praying for this church. He is praying for his church. For he himself knows what it is to be in the fray of battle. Can you look at him? Can you affirm integritas, wholeness, completeness, integrity? Believer, do you have your armor on? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you have provided for us Thank you that you have given to us each one of these splendid pieces of armor that pro provide protection for our soul against the adversary. Thank you that you are for us at all moments of life. And even in times when we are battle-weary, we know that you are by our side to sustain and strengthen and as the divine warrior to go before us and to fight on our behalf. We thank you for that. Today, if anyone, Lord, is in a very particular sense, sensing weariness, struggle, fear, doubt, discouragement, despair, would you bring comfort? Would you bring words of reassurance and faith and hope. And we'll thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.